You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, the podcast by Writers with Day Jobs. And I'm Kelly Daniels. Welcome, everybody, to uh, our studio here, beautiful Rock Island, Illinois, or as I like to think about it, the Brooklyn of the Quad City area. Does that make sense to you? It does. Good coffee and t-shirt shops. Well, it's also across the river from, uh, you know, the much lo- the Manhattan, which is Davenport. Okay. It's 10-story um, Wells Fargo sort of skyline. With a lot of Hasidic Jews walking around. I haven't seen that, but yeah, I think probably on on the Sabbath or something that might be happening. Right. While I'm sleeping in. And uh, yet it's cheaper in Rock Island. All the writers live in Rock Island. I heard that that's shifting, that Brooklyn is getting more expensive than Manhattan. Ooh, boy. It's actually, yeah, it, it has come to pass. Good, good. In it hasn't, place. well, it'll. that means in 20 years it'll, that... That'll reverse here then. Right. So, Dan, before we get into our regularly scheduled stuff, I want to start you with a question. Oh, dear. This question might even be seen as a hook by some people. I'll let others, <laughs> I'll let others make that judgment. But That'll um, keep the listeners. But yeah, Well, and I'm not even going to let you answer it right now, because then we're going to go into a bunch of boring stuff, but people will be, quote, hooked. They, well, I better if get you want to know then. the answer, then you're going to have to listen to the whole thing, unless okay. you're good at kind of skipping ahead. So here it is, Dan. On a scale of one to 10, how frightened and worried are you that the robots are going to come and take our jobs as writers? Like I said, don't answer yet. Think about it. Now we're going to back off. I am so hooked. (laughs) Well, I'm at the edge of my seat, um, mainly because the microphone is sort of really forward and I have to yeah. put my face right in it. But uh, still, yeah. metaphorically too, I think I'm at the edge of my seat. Let's go to, uh, you had a chance to read some of our our dealy bops, our, uh, or not read, what am I talking about? I was looking at the computer screen, it threw me off a little bit. Um, Are you checking Facebook right now? No, that it's that Skype. There's a picture of you on Skype, but then ads keep popping up and moving around on the Skype interface. And so I'm oh. like, what's going on here? And, well, you know, yeah, you're... Ahead. Your Skype picture is a unicorn. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I chose that. I like it. Yeah, it's sweet. I just had it was uh, from the archives of the of the radio station computer, and right. I, you know, I just wanted to put an icon, or they wanted me to put an icon up, so I just opened up pictures, and uh, that was the best one. So yeah, <laughs> unicorn. Um, <clears throat> so you listened to oh, yeah. our last episode, and I was wondering about. Any revisions or causes to um, reflect? I jotted a few things down. I think that um, the biggest mistake I made was, and I'm not even sure it was a mistake, but I introduced the topic of JT Leroy. Yeah. And um, I didn't quite have a handle on what exactly I was talking about. I, I sort of knew about JT Leroy, but I didn't know enough to provide background information on an important podcast such as this. So it sort of made me think, um, 
since we are just two schmucks talking, should we, do we have to know everything we're talking about to introduce a topic? Should I be censoring myself and saying, well, I shouldn't bring this up because I'm not 100% sure what it is? I did have the opportunity to go back and I was close on this story. You know, Kelly, there are podcasts where uh, people are just sort of reciting things from the Wikipedia back and forth and uh, having conversations based on things that they've pre-researched. This isn't one of those podcasts. Well, I mean, it could be. You could do a little more research. I mean, I know that goes against your ethos, your your kind of uh, philosophy. But um, it is the answer, as you knew the answer, though. I mean, that was one of those questions where you, there's no way I'm going to say, no, you're not allowed to talk about things unless you know everything about it. Because I assumed you would vote for preparation. Oh, really? No. no. <laughs> yeah. I think preparation is actually kind of a... A drag, not just that it takes time and effort, but I really think the more I prepare, the more it sounds like I prepared and the more boring it sounds. And like I said, you might as well look at Wikipedia. I actually looked at the an article on JT Leroy, um, and it was just too long. <laughs> it was one right. of those ones where it was pretty long, and then at the bottom you get, and there's like six whole pages of that. <laughs> and I don't even know if this was like a pre they figured out who it really is kind of article because it just seemed to be pure. This guy's so cool. And um, so I just said, whatever Dan said is probably right enough. It's OK. No, I, well, I didn't mind your I didn't mind your kind of going on. You're introducing this idea of this person who did a literary hoax on everybody. I thought it was cool. And if yeah. anybody wants to know Good. more about it, it's pretty easy to find information these days. One of the things that I do want to correct is I did – I think I said J.D. Leroy, and it's, as you said, J.T. Leroy, T as in Thomas. And uh, it, as, as far as the literary hullabaloo or frou-for-all goes, that, I thought it was a pretty interesting one, and it's worth looking at. Somebody made a documentary about it, so you don't even have to read. You could actually let your eyeballs do the reading. Very nice. Good I reading. guess eyeballs always So do. you just turned a I did something wrong into a I did something right. That was – very good move. This is why I always was good in job interviews. Yeah. You would just start apologizing, and then after a while, the employer, the interviewer is apologizing to you and then offers you a job from just sort of this vague sense of, of shame. That's, That's good. It. But I thought your dad got you your first job, your only real job. I still had to interview for it, though. They put me through my paces. Yeah. You don't and I had the to dad's wait. specter was sort of like hovering over the interview. Mostly in the interviews, it was the interviewers asking me what, um, what my dad thought of them. Oh, he thinks you're really funny. Oh, great. <laughs> so what did, what did you uh, wish to revise, well, sir? I, it, there wasn't anything super that jumped out at me as, as a regret or that I wanted to take back or explain further. But I felt that there was a little bit of a lackluster, a lack of energy when we came to the question about fiction and nonfiction. And I reflected upon that a little bit. And then I realized that that is the question that I've been, that is the center of every single interview I did after my book was, was released. So, and I think I did something like a dozen interviews of different types. And every single one, the one question that the interviewer really wanted to talk about, or the only one they could think about to talk about was, Do you, are you afraid of somebody, of things not being true or being caught and being embarrassed like James Fry, like every single time. So I think that my boring, my, my sense of not being super excited or not feeling fresh to my own ears may have been simply that it wasn't fresh material to me and I was just bored of the topic or it may have been 
that I, in answering, I just wasn't able to summon the... So what I'm really saying is that the problem with last episode was your question. My so, topic of yes, my question. So yeah. if everything else was... No, it, I, I just wish somebody would come up with another way to, to approach a memoir. But I just don't think that... I mean, even novels and stuff, if you listen to Terry Gross, it's just always like, what part of this is autobiographical? That just seems to be something yeah. she is so needs to ask and it is so not interesting to me i just who cares I, like very recently this year she interviewed elizabeth strout who just published a novel and basically every question she asked was did this really happen to you do you know somebody <laughs> who this happened to is this true and literally every single question she asked boiled down to did this really happen which is absolutely the least interesting question you can ask a fiction writer yeah and i think that terry gross just is well she's She's been doing this a long time. Yeah, it just comes to me like she just doesn't isn't preparing as much as she used to, and she's just and that's the wing it question. Did this really happen to you? Because you know it's yeah. such an obvious question, and you can ask it of every you know chapter and event. She's and, earned her reputation as the best for sure, but I think she's been sliding. And I would just say to you that if you get another question on personal rejection letter that you're not interested in, just put a little bit more AM radio in your voice, and that will amp the energy level up. <laughs> That's what I learned in a broadcasting school. Really? They called it AM radio? They call it thing? hamburger helper, actually. So you could say, hello, how are you? Or you could say, hello, how are you? Ugh. Hamburger helper. No me gusta. <laughs> That's Spanish. Yeah. Multilingual show here. Um should Yo, we Kira. move on to the should should we keep the people dangling on their on their hook or should we uh well let let's do that and let me say a couple of things about to set up our our topic and the question that I asked about Okay, I'll check Facebook while you're doing that. About the robots. Um <laughs> you're checking Facebook because because you're bored of what I'm saying. I get it. That was a burn, bro. Okay. Um so, the robots. I think the most robots. of us have been, most people who are kind of a white collar in one way or another probably think that we're safe from the robots because we just are full of ourselves in that way. It's just those factory workers that are going to be replaced by, by the robots. And really, they're not very important, are they? Um, so we all feel okay about the robots. But here's some things that I need to tell you. There's a barbecue joint opening up right near my house which is awesome. Even awesomer, it's called Barbecue and Draft House. So you can imagine how exciting, excited I am okay. about that. I got to meet the owner. Sure. They're still remodeling the inside and all that kind of business. But the owner was just sort of hanging out. I asked him about the place, and he goes, oh, yeah, blah, 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 Draft House, 24 taps, but no bartender. Why? How do they do that? It's this new system where you come in, if you want to drink beer, they give you a little credit card swipe thing. Right. And then you go up to the drafts, and I'm sure there's like a description of each beer that, you know, so if any questions you have are answered in, in text. And you swipe your card, and it records how much beer you pour. And so, you know, you have your usual eight beers over lunch. And, sure. um, and then you bring the card to the cashier at the end, and they, you know, charge you the $87 that it costs. Um, so bartenders are being kind of replaced. I would have thought they'd be the last to go. Um, not just that. Uh, there's this guy named James Burke. 
a, have you ever heard of James Burke? He is a historian of technology. Okay. So he actually, strangely enough, he looks to the future a lot. And I suppose they call those people futurists. He really thinks that 20 to 30 years, places like the United States and other advanced civilizations, advanced, you know, countries will replace politicians and replace yearly voting with algorithms that basically you regularly, every citizen can um, does surveys like multiple times per year to keep up with it. And the algorithm figures out what the will of the people is on every basic, basically every policy. So mm. everybody says, well, I don't like war unless X, 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 and Y. So the algorithm won't let us go to declare war until X, 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 and Y, which are chromosomes, um, as you know. <laughs> Based on the majority will of the people? Yes. And, and it's constantly updating. And it can't be hacked because it's one of those things where it's in hundreds of thousands of computers. Like, you know, so there's no central. If, there's, sure. if individual computers have, have variances, then you know that you throw those out. Um, and then politicians actually won't be politicians. They will just be just kind of um, workers who, who, feed, who help the machine. So our leaders are likely to be replaced by robots, um, which terrifies the hell out of a lot of people. But I have to say, I think the algorithm would be better than humans. <laughs> I think humans are, yeah. you know. My first thought is that I don't like it, but I'm not 100% sure I should be afraid of it. But I, I think that I would be much more um, disappointed to walk into a bar and find there was no bartender than to find that there was nobody in Congress. What about the Jetsons where the robots were like, were bartenders, but they had like bow ties on and they had witty things to say? And yeah. Hello, Mr. Libman. Martini? <laughs> and you know, and ha ha ha, you are funny. Um, that that would be cool. And the housemaids, like, well, once we get it all automated, I'm sure that we can start adding in a little bit of uh, a little bit of repartee, a little bit of wittiness, and then that would be perfect. Yeah, we wouldn't need people anymore. I've been to one of these bars where the taps are um, self service. Yeah, and did you f- swipe a card like that, or was it? Yes. Oh. Well, you know what it was? It was uh uh. Everybody, there was one card per table, and then at each table, this was in your hometown of Los Angeles, and every table had access to four or five different taps right at the table. And um, I guess it worked like a soda stream, sort of. You yeah. would just press the button for which beer you wanted. And by the way, this wasn't a place, obviously, that served Miller and Bud and that kind of thing. It's going to be a place that has 24 craft beers because I think, like, the guys who are just, um, I, I don't know, there's a snootiness factor, at least there was in this place. Uh, that I, a lot of people who go to bars obviously want the connection of a human being, so I don't think it'll be replaced entirely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I you know what having a server, a uh, somebody coming up to the table is one thing. Having somebody to man the bar, that's kind of sexist to man the bar, person the bar, person the bar. Yeah, um, for sure. but person and since son, it's a male kind of thing. It's hard to get away from the sexist language, Dan. I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> Um, but by the way, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the bartender is one thing, and then the server can be either a really good experience or a really awful experience. And um, just having some taps at your table with your friend, it, you know what? It's like going to a kegger. Good old yeah. kegger days. Remember those? 
vaguely. So it might be kind of like that. Half the experience is standing around the kegger and there's that one guy who wants to like pump the barrel for you. And the other guy is, you know, oh, you're not tipping your cup enough. And that was an issue that we had at this bar, which is that people didn't know how to pour their beer. So they yeah. weren't getting the right head or you, you really couldn't pour a Guinness. I mean, you can't if you're yeah. you, you can't pour a Guinness unless you've gone to school for seven or eight months in Ireland. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah. So you need a certificate. You, I don't you're think missing they... the experience. Yeah, I think that. Um... Guinness taps have uh, finger uh, print soft like recognition software that and you don't they don't put it in the database until you've gone through the certification process and that's yeah. I, I support that that's a good idea. There's a breathalyzer right on it and it won't work unless you uh, reach a certain level of drunkenness. Yeah, it's the opposite of the car. Yeah. <laughs> but you know you, you the, the thing of course is that you said some of the um, experience at a bar is going to be bad but you know we all have had experiences where we're like three or four guys deep or women deep in at at a bar and you're not being noticed by the two or three harried bartenders back there and you're just standing there with your dollar bill in the air like you're trying to hail a cab but those are actual experiences and I wouldn't trade those away for being able to pour my own sloppy pale ale at my table plus I like to get up and walk to the bar yeah me too you hail cabs with a dollar bill over your head? Well, you know, the gestures to say, yeah, a dollar bill or a magazine, sometimes a sandwich, you know, if it's lunchtime. Uh, okay. That cab driver to I stop. just like call an Uber myself, but. Um, I don't get, Uber doesn't work for me because I have such bad, uh, I have, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never even used Uber. Oh, really? But here's the thing. Now, you yeah. and I have become totally animated at the discussion of beer, much more at the discussion of nonfiction versus fiction from last week. So I think maybe we're actually this this podcast is the wrong topic. To <laughs> no. with. Nah, this was just a decide that this was a slow warm up to the, the question of jobs being replaced. There's a hedge fund that instead of getting a new manager, they're getting they're getting an algorithm that's going to run it. That's if that works, mean, every hedge fund is going to be run by algorithms and there's not going to be those humans ceos are going to be algorithms i would think i would rather have a ceo that's an algorithm than a human i don't know where you're headed with this but i'm 100 percent sure you're going to tell us there's no way a robot could write anything <laughs> well you know there's a screenplay that has been actually made into a short film that was written by a, a robot did you find was that on any one? yeah right it's called sunspring which is kind of a cool title yeah it's sci-fi and the guy from silicon valley the main actor is the main lead in it and the actors are all good and they and they did a pretty earnest attempt to make the movie and it is it sounds pretty neat and it's it has a little bit of a french art film to it but what it really is is just absolute nonsense just it sounds kind of like a three-year-old with a giant, somehow a giant vocabulary <coughs> mimicking the sounds of grown-ups talking, but not knowing the definitions of any of the words that he's using. Um, well, that does sound interesting. I'd like it to is see interesting. It. It's not good. It's interesting, though. Right. Um, so there's that. There is a Hemingway um, story generator. Been around for years. Right. I've you ever come that. across that? Yes. It's that website. I checked the website yesterday. This is going to be sad for you, Dan, but it's down. There's no, the website's gone. Oh, no. Yeah. But I did find somebody's Hemingway story. You plug in, they ask you about seven or eight words or 
questions and you answer right. them. And um, it's pretty funny. Can I read it? Go. This is just one yeah. I found on Reddit that somebody had done and then posted way back when. Okay. Ready? It was evening. So this is how it is. This is how it always happens in the evening. Damn your evening. With my last 50 yen, I purchased some true and honest vodka. I took a pull from the bottle. It was good. It burned my mouth and felt good and warm going down my esophagus and into my stomach. From there, it went to my kidneys and my bladder and was good. I remembered when I last saw Ed, who was still a damn fine writer. It was in Paris, and we looked out the windows at the mountain and drank vodka in the evening. It was evening and had been evening for some time. The end. Bravo. I'm snapping. <laughs> that's pretty fucking good, man. You got to admit, that's, it, that, that captures bad him. Anyway, it is. I suppose. As, as a piece of satire, it's good. But, I mean, it's certainly... Uh... Well, calling that a robot-generated story is, kind of, is not really very accurate, is it? No, because obviously somebody... Uh, I mean, those phrases, the, the, the uh, re- repetition of the phrases and the staccato language and stuff like that, that's programmed in ahead of time. Well, the whole thing is programmed. Somebody wrote the thing and then put a number of words that the user could plug in. And it was right. a kind of alcohol, a foreign currency, a time of day. You know what I mean? It was morning. It's like, Damn, you're morning. It's more like uh, one of those poems where uh, every line has to start with the same seven words over and over again. Kind of got that feel to it. Yeah. But I like it. I mean, it, it works as, uh, you know, the language feels right. It feels like it's a Hemingway. I think you're talking uh, about universe. Sestina. And I think that maybe poets might get a little ruffled at feeling a little salty at you uh, saying that their bat, this bad Hemingway joke is, is a lot like a Sestina. Yeah. Well, that they're always getting their feathers ruffled about something. That's true. Oh, man, That's you're digging a poetry. hole, brother. This is what what percentage of our hundred listeners are poets? You think you might have lost them all? Ninety eight. <laughs> I think that's probably it. Um, maybe I should just let you answer the question about the robots. Are you uh, worried about it? Are you? Uh... Am I worried about a robot start that wrote that algorithms are going to be writing fiction and that pe- that's the fiction people are going to want to read and that that I, I guess I'm not worried about it. I would say zero. Zero out of ten, You're right? A rebel. I, I mean, one I, out of 10. which isn't to say that uh, I wouldn't think that they could. Pro- that you know, I don't know. Is they the right um, word? I I think that it can happen, and that algorithms can produce work of literature. Not literature, but they can produce writing, and they can produce words. But you're going to need a human being, and maybe this is just my naivete speaking. But you're going to need a, a human being to give you that surprise, the metaphor, the you know, the, the modifier that surprises people, you just, you're not going to ever be able to build an algorithm that can do that. And even if you can, you'd have to generate so much bad work to get to the good work, unlike humans, which, uh, you know, who primarily produce good work, uh, that it's just not going to be worth it. It's not going to be sustaining enough that, uh, people are going to be looking for it. Have you ever seen an Adam Sandler film, Dan? Yes. Good writing in that really good metaphors that you were talking about all that they're surprising. I like Adam Sandler. Some of them, and not all of them. But well, I, I don't. I'm not an Adam Sandler hater. I am. I, I think maybe his early stuff. The Hanukkah song is good, but I that, watched I a like movie that. recently, and it was just the writing was so bad. It was as if the humans said, "Let's see how bad we can write this. Let, let let's go out of our way to 
trust me, any algorithm could do better than that. Like these, I think screenplays are usually awful. Like it's shocking how dumb the actual, the dialogue is. The problem with screenplays is that they're filtered through 15, 16 different committees before they're made into a movie because movies are so expensive. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the opposite. Make sure that they, they suck. Because right. the more expensive they are, the more that they have filters to make sure that no goodness can actually get through them. Absolutely. So you're losing, you know, you're losing the single vision idea, which I guess maybe you'd have with an algorithm. But, you know, it's more than one person programming an algorithm, right? So it's, again, you get something flat. I mean, even that Hemingway parody, it's sort of, there's a flatness to it. And after you read three or four of them, I'm sure you'd catch on to what that flatness was all about, what the originating idea was. Oh, I guess so. I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking about farther into the future than the next 10 years, say. Uh, but I I think that there could be lit bots. And the lit bots would be, would be out, like a particular algorithm could pump out um, certain kinds of stories, certain kinds of novels, say, you know, like romance novels. And I could even right. imagine a, and that could do it efficiently and kind of without taking any time and without having to pay, you know, wait for another f- five years for the next one to come along. And it could be by genre, you know, I mean, those things are so formulaic. Why not? Um, well, maybe a genre story. Yeah, you could do that, but you're not going to ever be able to, I mean, you're not going to ever have a robot Tobias Wolf, for example, because nobody, no robot's going to have that experience. It's those set of experiences that he had. Yeah. You're always going to need one human somewhere to write something for somebody, even if it gets more and more marginalized. Can't you upload Tobias Wolf's experiences into a computer program? Isn't that how these things work? Is they get... Like there's that computer that beats everybody in jeopardy. Right. It learns as it goes. I mean, that's the thing that's about that. Um, but that's answering questions. And I guess at some point, computers will be able to generate the questions themselves. Maybe they can already do it. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about generating questions, not generating answers. Boom. Yeah. Back at you. Oh, that was a burn. Well, no, it's just a, really. a profound thought that just blew your mind. Oh, I was sort of zoning out thinking about what I was going to say, so I didn't listen right. that carefully. But um, <laughs> that's why I'm just looking at your unicorn here. No distract. <laughs> I'm trying not to look at yours. You're too earnest in that picture. Um, it's an ad. And the ads keep flashing from one to the I other. I don't have ads. I'm not paying for Skype, but I don't have ads. I don't know what you've got there. Hudson floor covering, Rock Island. They're local ads. What do you think of that? Mention personal rejection letter for 20% off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we just gave free free advertising. We shouldn't do that, man. No. You don't why you want to buy the cow if you get the milk for free, Dan? Uh I like to both own the cow and and uh I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And milk it. And milk it myself. <laughs> you are I a like cow milk. owner, aren't you? Or at least I have cows, but they're cat they're uh they're beef cows, they're not milk. Yeah. Dairy cows. The metaphor was lost on me. Are you a cowpoke? It can be. You're a cowboy, aren't you? Yes, and. That's a that's an accurate. How come you don't wear a hat? I'm wearing a hat. Look at the picture. How come you don't wear a cowboy hat? Oh, yeah. I can't get my head into a cowboy hat. Mm. It's too it's wide. A, it's a problem. So you're saying cowboys have narrow heads. 
by definition. Yes. <laughs> I'll say that. Should this we get is back when, to the when question? are the robots going to Did I here here's the oh. one th- point I wanted to make to bring it home about the lit bots. If if we do get kind of um sort of electronic or algorithmic authors and that they could be they could be marketed as authors, you know what I mean? There's and they probably would give them a cute name or a not cute name and and it people oh, I like the I like the stories that this, you know, lit bot writes. Um, or produces, but the people that really in the know, the big fans, they won't follow the algorithm. They'll follow the coders that make the algorithm. So you could say, hey, I'm a fan of uh, Shrek, but the real kind of person who understands this stuff is a fan of Pixar, if you know what I mean. They're like, right, it's I the company you. that yeah. makes the thing. And so you're still going to have humans behind it no matter what. And I've actually heard that coding... A friend of mine works with, you know, Tim Diavis, that Tim Davis. I do. Avi. Um, he is a uh, manager of, of website developer types. Anyway, he, does, he works for a company that owns newspapers. And he okay. is in charge of all the website websites. So he, he works with a lot of coders. And I was talking to him about writing a novel. He said, you talk exactly like the coders that I know about structure about kind of strengthening kind of weaknesses and which I thought was really interesting. And um, so wait, wait, I'm sorry. So you're saying as a writer, that's how you talk about it. Or as somebody who is curious about it, you talk like a coder, a, a writer. So novelists and coders have speak about their craft the same way. Yeah. Okay. That's what he huh. said. All right. So I don't know. I don't really know what it is to code a program. And so, uh, but I think that, um, that was an itch. I took it as a compliment, sort of. Coders seem like smarter than me. So if I feel, if I'm talking in the same way that they talk about their work, then maybe I'm smart too. Well, I think that, um, you know, the, if, if, if it does come to pass, even though I'm saying that I don't believe it well, that, that uh, algorithms are able to write interesting works of literature that can speak to the human experience and that um, that, that day is coming. I'm not offended by that idea and I'm not afraid of that idea. I just don't believe that it, I just don't believe that, um, that it could happen. I mean, it's a situation, the old joke about the hundred monkeys and the hundred computer, whatever, no, the infinite number of monkeys typing on infinite number of computers, you will come up with all the great works of mankind at some point. And maybe, uh, computers have those resources to be those infinite number of monkeys, but you're still, you're still going to want to always go back to a Poe Valentine and read something that's more human written by a human being one single mind yeah even if you disagree with it i suppose so um well if you think about literature as art particularly the aspect of it or the the branch of it that is experimental that's always trying to do something new then computer generated stories and poems well there's a literary journal poetry journal that only accepts computer generated poems (laughs) my googling my googling yes so if you think about it like as experimentation, yeah. then of course there will be computer generated works and their interest won't be that they're quote good. Yeah. It's more just exploring artificial intelligence and the limits of it and right. and how much we can connect with robots. I do I think that I like the um the television show Westworld. Yes. And I like and the movie Ex Machina and and the novel and many movies frankenstein it's a it's obviously a, a 
a genre or at least a, a recurring idea that our machines become sentient. And every time that happens, the machines or the creations, we relate, the reader or the viewer relates more to the creations than the creator. The creators are the terrible ones because the machines are being used. Like in Westworld, I, I think that I'm interested in the robots because it feels my place in the world feels a lot more like theirs than than the people that are running the show, if you know what I mean. So basically, right. they are just these creatures that have these memories and that have these lives, and they have the sneaking suspicion that they are the pawns in somebody else's game. And don't you feel like that pretty frequently that you don't you don't have control over almost anything in your life, and it's a terrifying and and freaky feeling that you try to distract yourself from. Yeah, occasionally. It's a, I mean, that's a good trope, and that is, I mean, that is, it's almost been um, done to death that really the robots are the humans and yeah. the people who control the robots, why they're the ones who are the monsters. Yeah, Frankenstein like was the, the monster, right? Right. And Frankenstein's monster was actually a sensitive creature. He had fear of fire. I, I, I just love this idea of, uh, I'm sort of stuck on this idea of, of uh, literary journals that accept work from uh, <laughs> from from algorithms only. I just love the idea. I'm I'm trying to imagine if they would charge a reading fee of the algorithms. If they've got it, like if the if the robot has to sit and wait for the uh, rejection letter, and then if they get two contributors' copies and uh, I'll have to write their <laughs> bio and stuff like that. It's an awesome idea. It's sort of Westworld only instead of uh, sex. Everybody's sitting around waiting to get an acceptance letter from uh, the robot prairie schooner. <laughs> Whatever that would be. Yeah, I sort of I didn't click on it was just uh, on the list of Google sort of things, and so uh, I didn't click on that one. But I did read the, and that's what it said: a journal that accepts. So uh, yeah, I like that too. Like robot, the robot runs it, and the robots submit to it. And um, I'd love to have a great twist at the end of this thing, where it turns out the listeners have just been listening to two robots have a communication. They've just been fed a topic, and we're not even real. Just algorithms. Do you ever get the feeling that maybe you are a robot? Sometimes. That somebody just like programmed you and that you're going through the paces? When I wake up in the morning, I feel like no creator could be this cruel. I think I might be a robot. I think it'll be horrible. Like, well, like Blade Runner. You know, in Blade Runner, it's so obvious that Harrison Ford was one of the replicants, and it was just the cheesy Hollywood, we need a happy ending. So they go against the whole. Everything the plot was leading up to is that mm-hmm. the realization that he's one of the things that he's hired to kill, and then he just it doesn't happen. And oh no, that every all the evidence we've seen so far is just not true because we want a happy ending. Do you know what I'm right. talking about? I do. And if yeah. you see the director's cut, you can tell it's very clear that he's probably not going to live. But we need our happy endings. No robot's going to give us a happy ending. Maybe I think you can program a robot to give us happy endings. No. So I think I'm coming around to it. I think I'm ready for the uh, the universe where all my literature is written by algorithms. Bring it on. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, by that time, we're not going to – it'll just access our – sort of our dream center, and we'll just start it'll, – it'll offer the power of suggestion the way that writing does, but instead of – but, you know, we'll, we'll be in – we'll be immersed in a three-dimensional world – of uh, the algorithm's creation, but it's but mostly it's our own creation, if you know what I mean. I don't. So it'll 
Okay, literature of the far future, like, you know how you said that Robert Coover, is that him? Yeah. He said something to the effect that the video games will be the literature of the future. Is that right? Yes. Well, I think that's not accurate because video games are, it's never going to be a video-based world that is created by some team of animators because that's never going to be as good as the stuff in our own heads. But what I do think they're going to somehow figure out a way to project the stuff of our own heads, not onto a screen, but into a kind of three-dimensional space to where we feel like we're um, in full color and in three dimensions, we'll feel like we are that character. And I mean, think of the porn application for it. (laughs) So I think that's going to be the far, the eventual, well, that's assuming that humans, you know, keep having technology and keep advancing and all that kind of stuff. Pretty, it's, which isn't a foregone conclusion by any means. Yeah. Well, on th- on that note, that's... Should we that move on to... Uh, yeah. Should we move on to our sure. final thing? Absolutely. Our So, Dan, what's your reading? Yes, what's your writing? How is it teaching? Uh, well, uh, our listeners would be surprised to hear this, but we're recording this in a break of teaching right now, so I'm not teaching, and... As what comes with uh, getting able, getting to sleep late, and uh, all my habits have fallen apart, and I'm, I haven't really done much writing. Um, what was the other thing? Reading. I am reading. I'm reading the other Poe Ballantine book now. The um, my wife gave it to me for Hanukkah, Christmas. The um, what I like about America. Could it so, be called Chronica? Chronica. That's eh? a different thing. Eh? Four twenty, a- man. <laughs> Okay, no. Which um, one is it? Are you reading? What I like about America. Yeah, I like that one. I just started it, and so yeah, I keep going on with that. And uh, it seems like uh, it's it's very difficult to not be distracted this time of year, but uh, it's it's important. To, it's easier for me to read in a hammock in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Twenty minutes in, fall asleep, wake up, do another twenty minutes of reading. I don't have anything to be distracted by. Without reading, I would be lost. I would just not know because when I'm not reading, and I'm not like say cooking dinner or eating dinner. Yeah. Um, I'm just walking back and forth. Like I kind of want to just leave the house and just go somewhere away, but being married with a kid, you can't just like walk out the door just like see you later. I know some guys do that. Right. But um it's happened. Yeah, yeah, it has happened and I've done it, but mostly so I I read just because I got nothing else going on and I suppose I could write, but you know that's even harder. Well, now you'll be sitting in that bar with the 24 robot taps and you won't even have a bartender to talk to. So you'll be able to go through your book. So what are you reading now? Um, I'm still reading, uh, what is it called? The, uh, long winded lady. I'm going slow with it. And each thing is like two or three pages. Um, so you, you can just read one or read two or read three of them and you can stop at any time and you don't have to immediately jump back into it because they're all different. There's a, French form called the Phaeton, mm. I, I think is what these things are. They're like two to three page little mini essays that, um, anyway, slice well, they of were, life. They were in the, uh, the talk, they were in the New Yorker in that yeah. talk of the town part of the magazine where they, they print like three or four of those in the beginning of every issue. So okay. that's, that's why they're all set in Manhattan and that's why they're all yeah. sort of got that feel to it. So anyway, I enjoy that. Um, and uh, but I also read this. It's kind of a neat concept. 
it's a magazine, you know, that magazine creative nonfiction. Yeah. Well, creative nonfiction is an interesting magazine in that to submit to it, you need to enter a contest. They don't have regular submissions and you have to pay 20 bucks to submit to enter the contest, but you get a free um, subscription. Right. So 100% of their reading base are people that tried to apply to get to it. And so that's who, who reads it. Yeah. And um, anyway, we were talking about how magazines fund themselves and that's one of the models. Um, but they have an offshoot called True Story and it's once a month and there's a little chat book that has one story, like a nonfiction story and hmm. by itself, you know, with no ads or right. anything. It's really so I actually entered the contest just because I wanted the subscription. And having read the first one, I, there's not a chance in hell that I'm going to get in it because I, what I sent them is totally not what they they do. But that's fine. Um, the first one's called Fruitville, first episode. And it's a rock and roll story about some band, these two brothers that made this, that self-made this this record at great, great expense. They were farmers out in the middle of nowhere in Washington state, um, place called Fruitville. And, um, they, uh, in 1979, and of course they did nothing for their careers and it's just forgotten, just hundreds of thousands of dollars wasted. The father like bought them all the equipment for like a professional studio and but now record collectors are finding them and they're they've got this total resurgence and it's awesome stuff they're really the one brother was very talented so it's the journalists kind of hunting these kids down and and now they're 50 year old men and and it's been i don't know it's really it's a great story because it's about art and it's about making art for art's sake and then thinking that nobody's ever going to get it and getting over the whole idea of it, and then the whole thing comes rushing back thirty years later when they when you actually have been discovered by. So, it that it's, sounds inspirational. It's inspirational. It's also kind of sad because like the main guy is just like he's already over it. He's already gone through the pain. I mean, thirty years of hoping to make it—that's long enough to where you give up that dream. For sure. And yeah. then the dream comes back that he now that he's a paunchy middle-aged guy with a wife and kids who lives in Spokane, Washington and plays weddings. You know what I mean? And that's, and so now they want him to do like a tour and he's not really in touch with his brother anymore and musically and really good, really good story. And it was, you remember who wrote it? I don't remember the guy's name. It's a guy who wrote, writes for the New York times. He's a rock and roll journalist, but if you look up Fruitville, I'm sure you could find it. Okay. But you're saying it's not online, right? No, this is a paper copy of um, like a chapbook. Okay. Yeah. Not written by a robot. I'm pretty sure this is a real human. Okay. I really do. So there's hope for us sentient beings. Yeah, I think so. Us carbon-based humans. Yeah. So I wonder how long we've been doing this. 48 minutes. Been a kind of a long one. It's all right. Take a break. Is it all right? Okay. I think so. Well, you can cut some of the uh, some of my comments out. Yeah, most of it, would you say? I would say so. Just, okay. <laughs> well, Dan, been a pleasure as always. Thank you, Kelly. This was fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Hey, next time maybe you should get into the studio. We could do that, do something crazy. I would like that. Something interactive. 
Let's do that. Let's plan for that next week. Okay. Sounds a good, a good, a good. Um, everybody else out there, you guys have a, a good and safe day and That's take it. care. Thanks for listening. Tune in Bye-bye. next time. Bye. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Sub Atlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.